final hour, Darren Donick and Chase. Willie Donick, Chase McCabe here with you. Max Hurst behind the glass. And as we promised earlier, Chris Mason joins us. Predators in action tomorrow night. See Final Mace. game of the uh, the four-game homestand to start the season against the Washington Capitals. Predators win last night against the San Jose Sharks 5-2. to two. Mace, before we get into last night's game, have you seen the video of the Rage Room <laughs> in Philadelphia? Have you heard about this? I've, I've kind of heard about it. I, I, I kind of scrolled right past it, I, I, I assuming it was something for gritty, but like, is it a real thing or is it just a gritty thing? Max, tell us about the Rage Room. It is apparently a real room at the Wells Fargo Center, which forgive me if the naming rights of the arena changed, but it is in the club level and fans can pay to just smash stuff if they're mad about the game and their family can watch through a secret camera. <laughs> a secret that camera. That is awesome. Now interesting. This is this is this is where we're getting. Like this is the stuff. I've seen this. This is some sort of uh therapy or something. It does, doesn't appeal to me, but hey, that's your thing. Uh, go for it. My question is like, how? When will they run out of stuff? Like, once you smash up certain stuff, do they just keep bringing out another truckload of old TVs or wine glasses or something? Like, you can only I, I smash and, it up and one the time. The big question here is: it recyclable? That is what I really want to get down to. Because if it's not, then I totally uh, disavow this uh, practice. Yes, we we have to make idea. sure we are looking out for the earth here. Um, so, Mace, last night, it was interesting. Uh, we watched the game from various places uh, yep. in the arena, and last night the Predators had to defend a lot more than they did in the first two games, but they still found a way to win against a team that we knew was going to bring everything they had because the Sharks are way too talented, expectations way too high to go 0-4. You knew that was going to be a thing, so they really pushed hard, but the Predators still found a way to win. They did, and you know it's going to happen when you you play good teams. It's you know this is the one thing I think in sports that I think sometimes gets lost a little bit is when you're so you know focused on your team and your team's performance, you, you really have to give other teams credit where it's due. And I think the San Jose Sharks were extremely desperate, and they made you know multiple uh, big time pushes where they were pressuring the Preds on the power play. They they scored that goal there in the second period, and they had him hemmed in there uh, quite a bit. And, and and Pekka, again, if anybody was wondering if this is the year he's going to fall off, well, not 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 so far anyway. He was fantastic, but I really just I really just like this team um, in terms of the way that they're able to, you know, endure. I guess the the onslaught of the Sharks, but then they come back down and um, they're able to create offense at a different pace, I think, and more often um, at different lines doing it than they were kind of the previous two years. Obviously, that Duchesne-Forsberg line, the power play seems like it's back in terms of, you know, creating offense and getting momentum and, and you know, as it's another weapon at their disposal. So I, I just really, you know, love the way that they played that game. Um, teams like San Jose, they're going to get their opportunities, but, but the Preds really dug deep. And again, another strong third period to put the game away. Uh, Pecorine, we can all visualize spectacular saves that we can remember him making. Last night, I don't know if he had one of those, but he was under constant pressure. There were a lot of pucks flying his way. He was just rock solid in the game. I, I thought it was it was another really good sign that he is he is you know still capable of the same level of play that we've become accustomed to. 
Yeah, he was good. And now, you know what, that, that's, those are tough games because a lot of those shots, uh, San Jose is so good at moving the puck around the zone and then getting pucks, funneling pucks to the net with traffic and, you know, guys crossing in front of you and some guys there for screens and just really just causing chaos. And for a goaltender, it's a nightmare because you're just battling to find the puck and, you know, trying to anticipate where it's going next. And there's so many deflections. And uh, I thought he did a really good job of, you know, cutting off a lot of plays or potential disaster scenarios by controlling his rebounds, either keeping him right on his pad so he could cover it up or, you know, catching the puck or keeping it on his body. But, um, no, he, he looked he looked great. He looked good in his, really good in his first game, and he looked even better. Uh, he had, uh, you know, a lot more action um, last night, and he was awesome. You now have the San Jose Sharks with Brent Burns and uh, Eric Carlson making – the, the huge money. It's taking up a big percentage of their overall payroll. They don't have Joe Pavelski anymore. People still look at the Sharks as a contender in the West. We saw a lot of unfamiliar names, right? When you, when you have a lot of money tied up in a few players, you need young players to so, sort of fill those gaps. What did you think of the Sharks? Uh, did they look different to you at all uh, from what we have seen in the past? I, I really think they did. I, I think I think Pavelski was such a big part of that team in terms of their identity and, and kind of the way they play and you know the, what he embodies as a player. He's so good, uh, two hundred foot game in front of the net. He's got you know good skill. He's just he's just kind of one of those players that I think teams can rally around. So I, I think not having him there really changed the look of San Jose to me. I think they've still got a lot of talented players they've got a you know a lot of guys on the skilled guys on the back end they've got a lot of speed and skills so i think they're still one of those teams uh maybe maybe a step back i'm not um completely sold and nor have i really been on their goaltending um you know with jones uh being their starting goaltender I, he's a good goaltender don't get me wrong but i don't know if he's the guy that's going to you know, get them to, to where they want to be. But I, I still think they do have a really good team. Just just like you said, Willie, a little different. few new guys I'm not too familiar with, but a uh, little different-looking team, that's for sure. We saw Roman Yossi have another dominating game. It's, it's like you can't ever take that for granted. I know he's in a contract year, and that's going to keep that from happening, right? People are going to constantly talk about that until the new deal gets done. But 10 shot attempts two goals, and just the way he puts pressure on defenses uh, around, uh, around the league is, is remarkable. It's remar- he is one of the best, and he was playing against you know, two of the best. And if you put his performance last night up against Carlson and Burns, well, I think Yossi, Yossi wins that uh, competition. He's, he's just awesome, and, and he's been awesome every year. Last year, um, you know, all the analytics and all those things say he was at the top of the league. He should have had more points. He, he would have if, you know, the power play had been better, yada, yada, yada. He's just a stud. He is just such a dynamic player, and he's one of those these guys. I, I honestly, you know, there's a lot of guys in the league like a Carlson or, or Burns that they can get up and, you know, make the plays offensively. That You know, obviously each guy's a little different, but his ability to get up there, create, He's almost dead on the forecheck, and he's going in on the cyclone. He's moving in. That's why you know you you came up with the the name, the Nightcrawler. I think that's like just absolutely perfect for him, uh, the way that he plays, because he's able to get up and be so aggressive offensively. And then he's sometimes he's the first guy back, you know, defending an odd man rush or coming back right in, right in time to to make it a two on two. So he, he's just he's got off to a great start, and I think uh, you know he if he keeps this up, he's going to be one of the guys. Uh, 
you know, in that Norris Trophy conversation at the end. Chris Mason is here with us on Darren Donick and Chase. And, you know, sticking with the defensemen, I was talking to Brent Peterson after the game last night. Of just, I watched Dante Fabro, Chris, and I feel like he's been here, what, three years now? And it's it's been 10 games, I think. He's just, the poise that he has just seems like he is playing well beyond his years. He he really is. And you know what? I, I think it's it's kind of funny. Like, I agree with, you know, the way that you uh, phrase that because you see Matias Ekholm now. He's able to jump up more and take more of an offensive role. And you don't do that if you don't trust your partner. And he's even said himself how mature he is, the way he plays the game with his head up, the, the hockey IQ, his anticipation, no panic. He, he's just a really smart player. And it's one thing to be a smart player in junior or in college, but when you get to the best league in the world, it's a whole different ballgame because the speed and the size of the players and the execution level and, you know, just all the – everything is, is just, you know, times a million. So um, it, it's just really, really uh, – incredible to see how fast he's come in it was almost instant come into this league and he's fit right in so he you know again that's another you know i can go up and down this lineup but it's nice to see because they were really you know relying on that taking that chance because it is a chance you're moving out suban uh in essence to get duchene and that looks like it's just uh worked out in terms of the balance of this lineup and and, you know fabro's been great so far we had David Poyle on yesterday, and I said to him right before he came on that, you know, I love this offense. I love the puck movement. I love the chances that they're generating. You know, it's not just the power play. It's five on five. And you can credit a lot of that with the addition of Matt Duchesne and, and the instant connection that he's had with Philip Forsberg. But I think it's evident up and down the lineup of just what they are able to do. What is it about how this, this offense is working now this season that, has changed. Is it the addition of Dan Lambert? Is it Duchesne? Is it a combination of everything? What are you seeing? Well, it's everything. It's it's the existing players who I, I you know I think you know you always talk about the shiny new toy in Matt Duchesne. He's been awesome, no no question. But you know, adding him, you know they they give you that top two line threat. Who's the first line? You got two lines you can throw out there, you know, to play that role. And then you go down once. Let's say you put those aside, and then you go down to the third and fourth line. And you've got Kyle Turris, who seems to be uh, really determined uh, to, to put last year behind him. He's been great, scored a huge goal last night. Before that, creating a ton of chances, setting up Yarny. And, and you got Rocco on the other side. And it's a hard work and seems like a good, uh, a good balanced line that's able to, you know, to create some offense and get some things going. And then, you know, a staple of Peter Laviolette and the team that's, you know, you put the guys, uh, the, the Watson, Benino, Sissons line, put them in any situation, you know, they can help you at, uh, in the defensive zone. They're going to take a lot of those face-offs. But they can also chip in and score in Colton Sissons. Awesome pass. First goal of the game to, to Roman Yossi. So I, I just think when you, you, you just filter down the lineup and maybe guys get pushed down, we don't talk about it as much, but, you know, when they're out in the ice, they're getting good matchups and they're able to, you know, to, to create offense, which means, you know, essentially you got four lines that can that can do that for you. Uh, you know, on any given shift, on any given night. So that's that's a really good, uh, you know, problem to have for a coach and, and for a hockey team, and really makes it tough for the other team to to match against. As we've said, we've seen the instant chemistry between Duchesne and Forsberg and Granlin uh, with that line. The the Johansson line, I think they're playing well. Arvidsson has registered a couple of goals, but it seems like it's taking just a little bit longer for the chemistry to develop with Craig Smith 
you know, playing on his off wing. He, he's not used to playing with those guys. Is this just going to be a timing thing that you just have to let it simmer for a little bit? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle and, you you know, you get that instant chemistry, and sometimes it takes time to develop that. Craig's moving over to the left side. You know you're going to get, you know, his, his best effort every single night in terms of uh, work ethic and, and the tenacity that he plays with. But sometimes just, the you know, timing and knowing exactly where to be in the, in the right second and getting to know your line mates, you know, sometimes that, that takes a little a little longer to figure out, but... I think I think they're going to be fine. I mean, they've got uh, you know Ryan Johansson is one of the best playmakers in the league, and Victor Arvidsson's that straight line kind of player, and then Craig Smith is uh, you know he's just a hardworking guy. He's got a great shot. I think once they are able to you know get a better read on each other as a three-man unit, I think it's gonna you know it's a matter of time. And if not, you know Lavi's got other options that he can try up there as well. Mace, before we let you go tomorrow night, it's the Washington Capitals. Always a team that brings it with, with the artillery. Uh, Predators had success against the Capitals last year, but it's a new season. Caps will come in at 2-0-2. G- give us a thought on, on what we're going to see tomorrow. Well, I, it's another, like, I, I just, every time you play the Capitals, I always think, whatever you do, just don't, don't get into penalty trouble. Be disciplined, because I think that's such a huge weapon for them. They've got so many guys uh, that for, especially on that first unit that, that can put the puck in the net, it's it's really hard to defend. So discipline, I think, is, is paramount when you're playing against the Capitals. They got a good goaltender, Braden Holpe. I think he's one of the best in the league. It's you know again, it's another high-end uh, opponent, much like the San Jose Sharks. Although I think they're you know at this point in the season, the way you know the, the way that the Capitals have started, I think it's a you know even a, a little bit of a stiffer challenge. But I, I really you know, love the way the Preds are playing. So, I, you know, any team that they play right now, I feel confident that, uh, you know, if they continue to, to play the way that they're playing and, and, and continue to work on cleaning up some of the defensive uh, issues, which aren't, which aren't huge and easy correctable, I think they're, you know, they're going to, they got a shot every single night and, and the Caps are no different tomorrow. Good test for sure. A heavyweight coming in. Chris, thanks a lot for joining us and uh, we will see you tomorrow at the rink. Thank you, guys. It's just it's such an honor, as always. Oh, yes. <laughs> See you, Mace. Oh, yes. Yeah. See you, guys. All right. Chris Mason joining us here on the show. Uh, he does so every Wednesday at 1 o'clock. Tomorrow we'll have full coverage, as as usual, mm-hmm. on game day. We'll, we'll be at Pete and Terry's Tavern. We'll have uh, all the specials. You can come by. We'll have the beef on WEC. We probably will have to be on I'm not going to lie. i got to find I'm a way a- to change places with Dave Stripling sometime <laughs> to get some of this Pete and Terry's food. You guys just make me drool back here every home game. It is uh, solid. Oh, Tracy, solid. Tracy Myers from NHL.com puts on Twitter that the Sharks are practicing and Patrick Marlowe is among the players on yeah. the ice. Yeah, they, uh, they made that decision yesterday. Obviously yeah. not in time to have him in the lineup, but that – they're looking for a little more veteran. Yeah, 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 pretty interesting. All right, when we come back, we'll talk a little more uh, NHL, and we'll hit a couple of their uh, other issues going on around the league. Stay tuned. You're listening to Darren Donick and Chase here on 102.5 The Game. Don't forget to play silly underdog picks every week. Sponsored by Volunteer Hose and Gasket. Hit up thegamenashville.com or the ESPN The Game Nashville mobile app, and you can play. And if you play, at this moment, you can definitely gain confidence by knowing that you cannot be any worse than Chase McCabe and Darren McFarlane right now. Nope. 
We're in the cellar. We can't even we can't even outdo each other. We're just keep, you know, being terrible. Tomorrow at noon from Pete and Terry's Tavern, we'll make our picks again with our panel. But remember, just go to the our website and you can play every week for tickets to an upcoming Nashville sporting event, sometimes a Predators game, sometimes a concert, sometimes a football game. We got all kinds of stuff. Uh, so play every week and have some fun. So Chase you need to get it going, man. What's I, what's the I deal? I, look, I, I've tried everything. I've I have tried going with my heart, going with my brain, consultants. I mean, I, I I've tried going for the sticks, going downfield. Nothing's working. Nothing is working. Keep grinding. Keep grinding. All right, now big games today. Chase, as we've said numerous times during the show, he's got his Braves jersey on. He's ready for Game Five. You never know when the big moment is coming. You've got Dodgers, Nats. It's going to be great baseball. Yeah. Today in 1996, amazing moment in baseball history. You never know when the controversy is coming, but this is one of the more memorable ones. Remember the Jeffrey Mayer play? Remind me because I... Okay. 1996, ALCS. Yankees-Orioles. Derek Jeter hits his patented inside-out swing to the short porch in the old Yankee Stadium. And a guy named Tony Tarasco, who was on the Braves at one point, fades back. He is camped under it with his back against the wall, reaches up to make a catch, and a 12-year-old kid named Jeffrey Mayer reaches out and catches the ball and snatches it. Right before it gets to the glove. I do remember that. I I mean, it was crazy. And it was ruled a home run. Mm. There was no replay challenge system back then. Now, today, it would be very easy to overturn that. And fan interference. Right. But it still stands as one of the most bizarre plays in the postseason, especially in the last 30 years or so. That kid has grown up now. It was funny. (laughs) He was 12 now. So that's 20... Three yeah. twenty-four years ago, so right. he's a thirty-something. Yeah. Now, uh, well, and the, you know the kid at the time probably, you know, he's like, oh, a ball. You know, that wasn't even thinking. But you know, it was. But it was funny how he was hailed as a hero for doing yeah. it by the Yankees fans because he's going crazy. You know, he's. Right. I think his initial thing is, I just caught this ball. It's amazing. Right. I just caught it. I don't know if he understood the full scope of what he had done, but like the fans are cheering him because, yeah, you just. Yeah, you just, you just kept us. their guy from catching it. Right. So uh, the, the Yankees, remember in 1996, had not won the World Series uh, oh, I since remember 19, 1978. I remember the 1996 World Series. Yeah. So they, who knows how history could have changed. It Braves, could have been Braves, Orioles. Braves up, weren't they up 2 nothing? 2 nothing coming back home. Won the first two games at Yankee Stadium. Hmm. And then... I do love the... Um, you know the Ken, the Ken Burns baseball. He did the tenth inning a few years ago. That yeah. basically picks up in '94 with the strike, and up until probably 2010, 11, something like that. And there's a there's a part in it where they're talking about the '96 World Series and how the Yankees had hired Joe Torre, and everybody's like, "Why are you hiring Joe Torre? He's a loser. He hasn't done anything." And they put the you know the the core four together and and start building you know through the farm system with the Yankees and and he's sitting there and he's telling the story 
that Steinbrenner calls him in um, after they lose. I think they lost game one. And he's like, hey, you know, you got to get game two. Um, and, I mean, we, we got to even this thing up before going to Atlanta. And Torrey looks at him and he says, well, we're probably not going to do that because I think Maddox was pitching. And, like, we're, we're not going to get Maddox. You know, we'll probably go down 0-2, but don't worry. You know, Atlanta's my town. We're going to <laughs> go into Atlanta and we'll even it up and then we'll come back and we'll win the series. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I was at game three and game four with a – Former co-worker of ours ah. uh, back in the day. And uh, very memorable was that, the, that was the old Fulton County Stadium, The right? old Fulton County the Stadium. Last, I think the last couple of games. Yep. Fulton David County. David Cohn won game three. And then uh, game four, the Braves had a big lead. And that was the the Jim Lay, uh, uh, Jim Lairitz home run. Yep. The big one off of Mark Wohlers that tied the game. It was it was a, quite a turn of events there. Just so, um, and that started the Yankees' run. Yeah. So Jeffrey know. Mayer, piece of baseball history. Who knows what would happen if they had replay back then? Might have changed everything. Yeah. Smoltz, Smoltz went game one uh, for the Braves. Then Maddox. Yeah. That John Smoltz had Andy a huge Pe- year Andy in nineteen ninety six. Yeah. Young Andy Pettit was yeah. pitching game one. When well, game five, Pettit beat. Smoltz won to nothing. It, Smoltz won the Cy Young that year. Was just lights out. He was even better than Maddox, Glavin, any of those guys. And then Avery year. lost Game Four in yeah. relief. Yep. He he had sort of started to fade at that point after in the early nineties being as good as anybody. Right. So, but that was really the Braves at their height. I, I would say, and yeah. that was when they had already won it once. Oh, the Braves they had were a, a huge team. favorite. And they just, for whatever reason, never won it again. They were they were they were the best team, and then the Yankees eventually sort of took that title from them as they kept getting better each in year. Nine, they met again in '99, and I can't. Yeah. Well, that was a sweep, wasn't it? Yeah, four game sweep. Yeah, yeah, tough times. I mean, uh, listen, a yeah. lot of division titles, a lot of pe- uh, pennants, one World Series. So you just never know though when it's going to go your way. Like the, think about the Dodgers and. The predicament they're in today. If they lose, yeah. it's going to be the narrative of this season is going to be, oh man, you got this stacked team, you got all of the resources, and what? You lo-. So Walker Buehler, the former Commodore, who has been lights out, he's been money in all of the big games he's pitched in the last several times he's gone out there in postseasons. He's the guy they want out there. But got Steven Strasburg on the other side. He's pretty good, too. So two great baseball games coming up. When we come back, we'll have more here on Darren Donick and Chase. Stay tuned. This is ESPN 1025 The Game. Interesting choice. Uh, Max Hurst showing depth going back deep into the BC Boys uh, library here. Good call. Good call. I like it. You just can't go wrong with the Beasties. No, you cannot. All right, I got a little something for you here, Chase. We have discussed ad nauseum, you know, what the future holds for the quarterback position for the Titans. As we stated earlier, you know, Marcus Mariota has not had physical issues so far. Only been five games, but he has not been playing with ailments. He hasn't missed any games. He hasn't missed any snaps, really. Very different than last year and the year before. His contract is up. We don't know what's going to happen. Let's put that aside for now because the future is cloudy. Who's going to be the next quarterback? So let's look at the Broncos and what they've done, right? 
They have Joe Flacco. Went out and got right. him. He's up there in age. They're one and four. I, you know, I what they could they could they could wax the Titans. Who knows? In the NFL, we just have no idea what we're going to see every week. But in the big picture, I don't see the Broncos being a contender this year. It could be dead no, wrong. It would be a huge surprise if they were. As we approach the trade deadline in a couple of weeks, I'm I'm reading that you know there's several of their key guys that are on the block, so they're pretty much yeah. in the rebuild mode right now for for the Broncos. Last year, as we know, they went out, spent big money, you know, relatively speaking, for a guy that was sort of a journeyman coming off a career year in Case Keenum, mm-hmm. right? We we talked about Teddy Bridgewater and his situation. He might be sort of the Case Keenum, although his pedigree is more. He was a first-round pick. He's got, he got better tools, safe to say, than, yeah. than Keenum, who's been more of a, a career backup. But that obviously bombed, and they, I'm sure, regret having gone down that road. Now they're going with Flacco. What's he got left? Prior to that, you know, they made the big investment in Brock Osweiler. They thought he was the guy. He hit a big wall, right? He had a promising start, hit a big wall, and then it was like, oh, boy, what do we do? Here comes Trevor Simeon, a seventh-round pick who had a modicum of success. So it's just interesting. And then, you know, before that, it was the Peyton Manning era that they were able to squeeze out some very good years with him when at the time they signed him you weren't exactly sure what he had left he proved to be worth yeah. every penny that they invested in, and then in can paying drew, him you know can drew lock be the guy of the future i mean john elway's had a hard time identifying quarterback right and, and you would think okay here's john elway trying to yeah you know find quarterbacks it just illustrates how difficult it is to find a quarterback right well, everybody wants to have drew Brees. everybody wants to have Philip Rivers. Everybody wants to have a tier one, right? It, or even a tier two. They are hard to find. It also shows you that sometimes the great players don't make great coaches or great front office people. Now, I don't think he's done a bad job. Obviously, they they appeared in a couple of Super Bowls. They won a Super Bowl when Peyton Manning was there. I think there are some other players on this team, like Philip Lindsay, who would have thought that Philip Lindsay would have been what he was um, when they when they drafted him uh, or. Was it? Well, he was yeah. undrafted, right? Or was he? Dra- oh, they. Uh, well, they drafted him. Yeah, yeah, first round, right? The kid from Memphis. Oh, I'm thinking of a different. Who's, yeah, who's the no, kid no, from no. Memphis? You're, they you're thinking of. Uh, no, I'm thinking of the running back, Philip Lindsay. Oh, oh, Philip Lindsay was undrafted. Yeah, you're yeah, right yeah. from Colorado. I was, I was, who's the? But Paxton Lynch Paxton is who I'm thinking. Lynch, yeah. So they they had him. Uh, now they drafted Drew Locke. You know, there was the Tebow thing before I, the Peyton I, Manning. Right? They drafted him in the first round. Yeah, but that wasn't. I don't think that was Elway. I don't think I don't think Tebow was Elway. May not I I, I, I don't remember him. Elway's always been kind of around though, hasn't he? Well, he di- didn't. When he in the um, didn't he do some some other things? I like mean, Elway clearly league. influenced Manning to come in. I don't yeah. I don't remember exactly. But I think what, posi- what his was, position was. Tebow was Josh McDaniels when he was the head coach. Yeah, because they mean, had Cutler. Was, I mean, it's just it's just so crazy to think about the revolving door yeah uh elway got to denver as an administrator in 2011 he was with the colorado crush before that time. the crush so crushed it but so yeah. but i guess my point is you can you can think you've got a plan you have an organization that's got a lot of pride has a huge following and yeah you just the best laid plans 
And look, it's the, hard to find a really good quarterback in this league. The Titans, you know, we've talked about the offensive line and the protection. This defense isn't what it used to be. It isn't the defense that won them the Super Bowl, but they still got Von Miller. And you heard Mike Vrabel right. reference Von Miller that we have to shut him down. I mean, they Chris Harris Jr. is a cornerback. You know, he's still pretty good. So they have pieces on defense that they can make plays. And, you know, Vic Fangio is a defensive guy. So that that's something that you have to, to think about as well. They just don't have the pieces on offense like they have had at one time. And, and really it's, you know, it's an older Joe Flacco. It's, uh, you know, Emmanuel Sanders, who is a, is a guy that's been mentioned on the trade block. Yeah. So I, I, I look at this game as don't own, you know, don't <laughs> underestimate them because you, you're not in well, any position to do that. Are, right now. Aren't we describing a lot? It sounds very similar to the matchup with Jacksonville, Buffalo Colts, mm-hmm. right? You're, uh, Offense doesn't wow you, you know. Pretty good defense, but it's a it's a middle tier to lower tier team. And the Titans have got an opportunity here. They have squandered a couple of opportunities against these types of teams so far this year. Yeah, and, and that's the problem. That, that is the problem. If you want to be good, they haven't if, lost to the great teams. They've yeah. lost to some mediocre teams. Yeah, if you just want to be good, just to be a good team, you got to beat the bad teams. And right. they can't do that. And we know the Bills are no longer considered a bad team. No, they, they're they, I don't. I still good. am not ready to say they have. They're going to stay at the level that their record would tell you. No, but it I is. think they could be a wild card. Oh, I, I absolutely. We said card. this. We said this after two weeks. Yeah. Right when they were two and zero and getting ready to play, I forget. Maybe the Jets were right because they their beat the schedule Giants and Jets, is going and then to... they had. They they played some cupcakes and they've taken full advantage. But the way they stood toe to toe with the Patriots, they come in here and win, find yeah. a way. They they have a formula that's going to keep them around. It's called have a great defense. And the Jets, and then, you know, they, they'll have they get another, to play the Dol- they still have the Dolphins twice. Yeah, the Dolphins twice and the Jets. So <laughs> hypothetically, there's three right. more wins right there. You know, you never know what happens against. You know, they hung tough against the Patriots. You know, who knows? So I, I think that they could definitely be a wild card team, but. You know, the Titans have to figure out a way to beat these teams that they are supposed to beat and then do like the Bills did against New England and hang tough against the great teams. Right. And they're just not there yet. When we come back, we'll have the final segment of the show. Jared and the GM coming up at the top of the hour. And don't forget, we'll be over at Pete and Terry's Tavern at Bridgestone Arena tomorrow for Predators and Capitals. And on that note, remember, once again tonight, Smashville Live over at uh, Brewhouse South, Cool Springs. If you're a Predator fan living out in that area, Kyle Turris and Dan Hamus will be with Braden Gall and company out there for Smashville Live tonight at 7 o'clock. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Thank you, Kyle. Kyle Turris will be a part of Smashville Live a little later on tonight. Back here, Darren Donick and Chase wrapping up a Wednesday edition. Willie had to dip out for a speaking engagement, so Chase McCabe here with you. Max Hers behind the glass, wrapping it up on a Wednesday as uh, I am anxiously, uh, nervously, all of the above, awaiting my Atlanta Braves taking on the St. Louis Cardinals in a huge Game 5 in the NLDS. You can hear that on 94.9 Game 2. And then the uh, the Dodges taking on the Nationals in Game 5 a little later on tonight, also on 94.9 Game 2. So a lot to choose from. Here on these airwaves, Max, uh, Nashville SC, we haven't really gotten to talk about them much today, but uh, you were on the call last night, if uh, if I understand that correctly, and Nashville SC continues to roll. Yeah, 
What a game. Oh, my goodness. I've been in the booth with West Bowling for a couple of matches, filling in as the color commentator over the last month, month plus. A lot of home games over at First Tennessee Park. They'll play one more at Nissan Stadium on Saturday, then back to FTP for one more regular season game, and then hopefully a home postseason match. But they did everything they needed to to push further towards that last night. Beat Louisville City FC 2-1, scored in the sixth minute, scored in stoppage time to break a 1-1 tie. Just a great game, a really fun game, high energy. That's been a fun rivalry the last couple of seasons. But Nashville brought it. And they've had all of these stoppage time goals. They've had three of them this season, basically as close as a walk-off as you can get in soccer. So it's been a ton of fun. Yeah, and... You know, with the MLS coming next year and they're going to play at Nissan Stadium, you know, the USL schedule, two years in, in USL for Nashville FC and, and SC, and it's looking like another playoff appearance here. Right. And, and and that's just awesome for an expansion team that's only been around for a couple of years. Yeah, and there are two things about that that matter to me right now with this team here in 2019. First of all, this team wants to win the USL championship. They want to win the USL yeah. Cup. Louisville City has actually won it the past two years. So they know they're probably going to see them again, and that would be an unbelievably fun playoff matchup if we do end up getting it. But this team really wants to win it all. I mean, they, they've they gotten better as the year has progressed. They're, for the most part, healthy right now, with the exception of their captain, Michael Reed, who had a pretty gruesome leg injury a month was, or so ago. I was and at done. that game. Yeah, so he he's the only guy missing long-term right now. They've got everybody else back. Daniel Rios up top. Cam Lancaster is healthy once again. And the other effect of it is they have all these guys who are either signed to MLS contracts, Daniel Rios, Cam Lancaster, Derek Jones, and guys who are on loan from MLS clubs who are basically auditioning for a role with the MLS team next season because the management will be the same. Mike Jacobs is still the GM. The coach will be the same. Gary Smith will be the head coach and the manager. But these guys are auditioning for MLS jobs right now. And it's bringing out the best in them. I mean, their center backs right now are both on loan from MLS teams. Jimmy Ockford is on loan from San Jose Earthquakes. Forrest Lasso is on loan from FC Cincinnati. I think both those guys have a place with the MLS team next year. Yeah, and, and I think that that's going to be big for the market because you have, you'll have you have some familiar, familiarity right. with you know some of these players that you know, you've seen on the USL circuit. And then once they get to MLS, you'll be able to be like, oh, hey, I know that guy. Yeah. So I think no, that, that, that matters. Yeah. Yeah, I you're think, right. It really does. And, and I think it goes too with the with Gary Smith being the head coach and Mike Jacobs and you know, just having those those guys that have been around and have, they've connected with the market, I think it's gonna be big. Yeah, and they actually uh Ian Ayer and Mike Jacobs, Ian Ayer is the CEO of the MLS club. They went up to New York this week to MLS headquarters for the expansion draft coin flip to determine <laughs> the the picking order. They actually I'm going to pull this up so I don't get it wrong, but there were, I believe, five things that needed to be decided in terms of picking order for the two expansion clubs going in next year, which are Nashville and Miami. And Nashville lost the coin flip, so they did not get to pick first. Mm. Oh, man, and now I can't find this. But the, uh, the first choice, Miami picked the first pick in the expansion draft, and then it kind of goes from there every other, every other with the five different drafts, because you've got the super draft, which is the amateur draft. You've got players coming in from other leagues. So you've got players coming in from a lot of different directions, and the Nashville staff had ranked all of these in order in terms of what they... All right, here we go. 
the five things were the number one pick in the 2019 MLS expansion draft, which Miami took first. Then Nashville took the number one position in allocation ranking order. And then Miami got the number one pick in the 2020 Super Draft, which is the amateur draft, the soccer equivalent of the amateur draft. Then there's also re-entry draft, discovery player, all these things that basically kind of going over like hockey did in the late 90s here that that we're going to have to learn over and over and are kind of deep parts of yeah. MLS roster construction. I think it'll be fun, though. You know, oh, yeah, it, it's going it to be a blast. Fun. It was fun in the late 90s. And, you know, it, admittedly, I was one of those fans of the Predators that I, I jumped on late. I was actually telling Ryan Porth last night uh, when we were standing there watching the game that a Tuesday night game in October against the San Jose Sharks in year two of the Predators was my first hockey game. So it's kind of every time the Sharks come to town, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember remember those days. I don't remember how the game. I don't, I don't remember how it went. I don't remember who won. I don't remember the players. But, um, you know, it, that's kind of how it started for me. With soccer, it's going to be different because I've, you know, with our relationship with Nashville SC and carrying the games, I've been able to learn a little bit more. So it's been pretty cool. Now, you, uh, yesterday, before you went to Nashville SC, you went over to the Hawk because – had some fall um, fall practice for the Vandy yeah. boys, and uh, as they get ready to defend their national title. Yeah, yesterday was Vanderbilt baseball's first on field day of fall ball, fall training as they call it. They don't practice. Tim Corba does not use the word practice anymore. <laughs> it is training that happened a, a couple years ago. But uh, yeah, they were back out there for the first day of fall ball. In a couple weekends, they'll go to Kansas City for a fall exhibition with Oklahoma State. That will all surround the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City and the Kansas City Urban Youth Academy. So that will be a really cool weekend that Vandy Baseball is taking advantage of up in KC. And then on Sunday, November the 10th, 10 in the morning, the second fall exhibition will be here against Michigan Mm. in a national championship rematch. And what those two teams have in common, both of their managers are former Vanderbilt baseball assistant coaches. Yeah. Well, that that's going to be uh, that'll be fun. So, Vandy baseball already getting some training in, not practice training. No practice. They do um, not practice. And they, you know, they obviously there are some pieces that they've lost uh, to the draft and to to the majors. But that team still has a lot of talent. I think they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who the starting nine are on Valentine's Day when they open up in Arizona. Potentially also against Michigan, by the way. We don't know which day is going to be which in that tournament out in Arizona, same as they played in last year, but Michigan is one of the teams there. Hmm. So we could see Michigan right off the bat once again. But yeah, Vandy may only need to start one freshman in that game. Yeah, And of course, they didn't start any on opening day last year, which was the first time they'd done that in six years. But we're back to the plan where some backups are becoming starters. Jason Gonzalez will presumably be the starter at third base after having some playing time there the past couple of years. So he's a junior first-time starter. Isaiah Thomas played as a freshman last year. He could be the starter in either right or center field. And you got some guys like Austin Martin, who could be the number one overall pick next June, who doesn't have a position. <laughs> could play shortstop. I think they'll Played find third last him. year. Yeah, I think he's got a spot locked down. <laughs> but yeah, the pitching staff will be exciting. Kumar Rocker is going to lead it, obviously. I mean, I have, I've had more people who are out-of-towners, have no relationship with Vanderbilt or with college baseball, text me or mention something to me about Kumar Rocker than I have had anybody surrounding Vandy yeah. Baseball. I mean, he's he's, he's the real talent. deal. He, I mean, he's getting to the point where, depending what happens this year, he could legitimately affect competitive balance in the majors next year because teams are going to be trying to tank for him. 
Yep. It's rare that you know who the number one pick is going to be at the end of his freshman year. That's something. So Vandy baseball getting going. A couple of notes from Titans practice. Uh, Teron Davenport um, reporting that no sign of Cameron Wake or Delaney Walker on the field at Titans practice today. Both rode the stationary bike. Uh, also missing Chris Milton and Sharif Finch. Uh, John Glennon reporting that. So uh, Titans practice underway and a couple of key players out um i know that the national media had a chance to talk to vic fangio on his conference call and he had high praise for sean evans and Jayon brown so as the titans and broncos get ready to meet up this weekend in the mile high city so uh, obviously we will get you ready for that uh the preds doing battle against the washington capitals tomorrow as willie mentioned earlier we will be at pete and terry's tavern at bridgestone arena for that and hopefully, we'll find out, Max, Darren McFarlane, is he going to be back? The suspense. We will uh, keep uh, keep with us on Twitter. We'll answer that question. So we'll see if Darren makes a return tomorrow. That is going to do it for a Wednesday edition. I appreciate Tim Hasselback, ESPN NFL analyst, for joining us. Uh, also, Chris Domino from 680 The Fan in Atlanta, uh, talking some Braves. And Chris Mason, the cool guy, John Glennon as well. Uh, for joining us here on the show. Stick around. Ryan Porth in for Jared today. Jared and the GM. That's next. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay.